All right, I think we're ready to officially begin. If you'll join me for a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for being with us as we go into the seminar. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be present. We pray, Lord, that you will give us guidance as to how to effectively use your word uh, and use the guidance we've been given in the spirit of prophecy in order to be able to shape our understanding of how we should engage in bringing two lives together. We pray now that you will uh, also be with the other presentations and help us to surrender our lives to you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title, as I mentioned, is Dating Isn't for Cowards. So uh, I'm going to just pretend that you and your, your potential or your current partner are sitting on a plane together, and you're about to go off on the wonderful trip of marriage. And so you're all excited, you're giggling, and you're sitting next to each other and getting warmed up, and you're just so excited about what's going to take place here. And uh, then the, the air hostess comes along and she says, I just need to alert you to something before you get too far into this journey. And you're like, well, what is it? What is it? And uh, she says, well, you know, we have pretty bad accident statistics here. In fact, um, just getting up to where we get above the clouds, there's like a 95% chance that the plane will crash. But once you get above the clouds, it's a whole lot better. It's only between 30 to 50% of the planes crash at that point. Now, how many of you are interested in going on this plane flight? <laughs> no, this is, are you like, are you crazy? Let's get out of here. And yet every day people decide to make this decision. Oh, that's pretty sad. To make this decision because uh, the shocking statistics suggest this. According to one study in English, the average, in England, the average woman will kiss 15 men before settling down and getting married. So that means, that means 15 frogs to find a prince. <laughs> you know, so is this, is this a good scenario? I mean, this is the average. So again, you know, this is not a Christian perspective, but you know, that's what most people out there are going to face. 41% of first marriages end in divorce, 60% of second marriages, and 73% of third marriages. I mean, your chance of not making it is pretty high. So why would you even consider getting married? <coughs> you can respond. Why would you even consider getting married? Hormones. Hormones, all right. Hormones kick in. All right. Why would you consider getting married? Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. It's biblical, right? Marriage is biblical. You, in spite of the statistics, marriage is still biblical. And you always figure out, I won't be one of the statistics. And hopefully by the time we're done with this seminar, you'll be far better along with not being one of those statistics. Uh, I do believe, however, that there is a problem with today's dating strategy. You know, it's kind of, let's get in there, have a quick uh, meet and greet. And then uh, if we're lucky, we get to see each other again. And things go fast pretty rapidly from there. So what goes on in a traditional dating uh, scenario? Well, the first thing that happens is the hormones kick in. You tend to fall in? Lust. 
You fall in lust, right? You tend to fall in love. Um, you, you, you get the chemistry. You come along and suddenly you experience the tingles. Woo! I can't believe it. I just met someone and I just felt this incredible sensation and feeling. Anyone here ever experienced the tingles? Yeah, it's a wonderful feeling. Just don't trust yourself to it. <laughs> because here, here's the honest truth. You can get the tingles for people who are absolutely wrong for you. I mean, I remember getting the tingles for this girl who had come for a wedding. I was the MC of a wedding. And this girl had come. She was one of my friend's friends, red hair, beautiful smile. And uh, we were walking along the beach. And somehow her, her shoulder brushed against mine. And it was just like, woo! I was like, and she smiles back at me. And she doesn't seem to mind. And so I'm there next to her. And she was pretty aggressive. She reaches out and grabs my hand. And I'm like, and then it happened again. You know, and I'm like, it must be God. <laughs> but it wasn't, you know. You know we, so we spend the day, we, we barely talk to each other. We just go along in this mist of hormones, wandering down the beach. And then when we finally, uh, that evening, we, we're kind of sitting there. Everyone else is talking about us because they've seen us walking hand in hand. And I am the campus chaplain. Fortunately, it was during a break. So, um, but people are talking, you know, what's going on here? The wedding's about to happen. And I am just like in this in this cloud. I can't even think straight. And finally, when we, when we get a little further on, I go, by the way, what denomination are you? <laughs> and she goes, well, I'm Pentecostal. Isn't it great? And I said, yeah, Pentecostals are great. <laughs> and I said, but, you know, tell me more about your life. And she was like totally emotional. And, and I have a much more logical strain to me. And as we talked more and more, I was like, we have nothing in common. And she's like, well, what was that that we've experienced back there? I said, I don't know, but let's not do it again. <laughs> you know, the tingles don't always uh, make sense. Uh, this is what uh, Tiribasi say. Uh, the, this couple, they work with a lot of premarital couples. It's like working with people on what? Drugs, natural chemicals such as dopamine, endorphins, serotonin, oxytocin, what's called the love hormone, can cause the same reaction as an illicit what? Drug. Dating and engaged couples often find themselves in a chemically induced condition. <laughs> and so they have the uncanny ability to focus on their partner's positive strengths and traits while really noticing the reality of their partner's weaknesses. It's like the couple we had come over to our house once, and they'd been dating, oh, it was a long time, about two weeks. And so <laughs> as we were sitting down over lunch and we're talking about how, you know, how it's going, he says, you know what's remarkable? Is that any time I want to know what she's thinking, I just think, what would I think? And that's what she's thinking. And I went, boy, this guy is in for a surprise. <laughs> you know, but in the moment, you don't recognize it. What do you get excited about when you have the tingles? You get excited about, you know what? We both like the color blue. Isn't that amazing? We're just like each other. And, and you ignore the things that would make you different. And so this drug takes over your mind, and you end up getting more and more engrossed in each other, more and more infatuated. And that's why it's so critical that we do some steps before we jump into dating. Because what happens 
in this stage is your frontal lobe begins to shut down. And so you need some help and some support because you begin to become exclusive and next thing you know, you can end up going much further than you ever planned to go. The strange thing about the tingles is it doesn't seem to always last. Um, you know, my brother, he was really interested in this girl who he told me, I am so in love with this girl. I said, I was young. I was 14. I wanted to know what is true love. So I asked him, I said, how do you know it's true love? And he said to me, here's how I know it's true love. He said, I'm willing to lay down my life for this girl. If there was a train coming, she was on the train tracks, I'd push her out the way and lay down on the tracks and die for her. I said, wow, that's really impressive. <laughs> Three weeks later, it was over. I went back to him and I said, what was that whole thing, laying your life down on the tracks? He says, just shut up, let's, let's move on. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And so I said, what is going wrong here? Well, you see, tingles, what we sometimes call uh, this first stage, it doesn't last to that intensity, and it's a good thing. If it lasted this intensity, you wouldn't get any homework done. You uh, wouldn't care about your future career because you're just so wrapped up in these emotions. So the tingles are just for a short period of time. They say up to about two years you experience the tingles. And that's why a lot of people get married within that time period, and then they discover afterwards that they're just not that into each other. And it sometimes doesn't take two years. Remember Kim and Chris? 72 days. 72 days. That's all that it took for this marriage to come to an end. And who's she married to now? Some, some other guy. Who knows how long that's going to last. And so 72 days is all that it took for the tingles to fade. Don't trust yourself to the tingles. See, in the dating approach of the world, we choose a partner based on attractiveness and circumstances, but not on their character and really on their in-depth personality. We, we just say, what was it like? How did I feel towards them? And so we base it on feelings. But that is not good enough because you can be attracted to people, as I said earlier, who are totally wrong for you. And there are two possible outcomes when you do it this way. A breakup, which is made very painful by the sudden bonding, because often intimacy comes along with this, or a life commitment built on a faulty foundation. Any of you know couples who started out this way, right? Yeah, we all know couples who probably have had some experience like this. And if you've ever gone through a breakup, a breakup can be incredibly painful. And my goal here is to help prevent you from making those kinds of mistakes where you just get caught up uh, in this faulty way of thinking. So what is God's plan? I think we have to begin with the end of mind. You know how long this couple's been married? 82 years. 82 years. Uh, she's 98. He's 102. Now, let me tell you that you will not make 82 days, if you're Kim, <laughs> you won't make 82 days if you don't have something more than what the world offers. What enables you to make 82 days and then 82 months and then 82 years is something that is profound that God gives us and it's what holds us together when the times get tough. And let me tell you, it's not based on attractiveness. Now, I mean, they're nice people there, but I can guarantee they didn't look like that 82 years ago. <laughs> you know, something changes over time. And if you've based on attractiveness, the Bible says that beauty is fleeting. 
But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So let's take a look back to the Garden of Eden. And there we find Adam alone. And uh, everything up until now has been it's good. You know, everything God makes. And it was good. It was good. It was very good. But then you get to chapter 2 and he says, it is not good. What is not good? For man to be alone. Did God put within us a desire for relationship? Yes, he did. It's a great thing. You know, this desire for relationship. But I want you to notice some of the elements of this. You know, number one, you will experience loneliness when you don't have a companion. That's normal. Don't beat yourself up. This is normal. God created you that way. But notice the other elements of this. I will make him a helper. So that's the first part. Who is going to do this? God's going to do this. He's the one who's going to make a helper. You know what the problem that we have in today's dating is that we try to find our own helpers. But if we say, I'm going to let God make my helper for me, then we're putting our trust with God. We're going to wait on God for him to give us the right helpmeet. And notice that this helpmeet will be suitable for him. I mean, you can imagine he, he tells him about this, then he puts him to sleep, does a little operation, pulls a rib out, and then he forms this beautiful, exquisite creature. Now, I don't know why God didn't make men beautiful. But maybe, you know, he makes this woman beautiful, and then he wakes Adam up. And it says in the Bible that, that Adam said, Whoa! Okay, maybe not quite those words. <laughs> but what he said is, here it is. Here's the one I've been looking for. And uh, so it was somebody that God said would be suitable for him. What are some other translations? Fit for him, meet for him. This was somebody specially designed for him. And I want to say right from the beginning that God has a plan for your life. Now, I don't think you have to say there's only one person out there. But I can say that God is designing a person for you right now. And if they accommodate to his plan and you accommodate to his plan, God can bring the two plans together. <laughs> Sometimes he's got to change his mind because the person he planned on didn't, uh, you know, work with it. <laughs> so here he is making someone suitable for him. He's bringing two people together. They're going to be very imperfect after sin, and we'll see that in a moment. So they come together. They're having this wonderful time. And then along comes a piece of chocolate, or maybe it was an apple on a tree. And Eve grabs it, and she tempts Adam, and then together they both fall into sin. Now, when they fall into sin, you know, they have a little talk together. And uh, they're explaining some things that are going to happen as a result of this fall. And I want you to see the effects of this curse. Notice first, Eve, your desire will be for your what? Husband, and he will rule over you. And uh, I, I like this book, Holding Hands, Holding Hearts, Recovering a Biblical View of Christian Dating. Uh, they say in there, Richard and Sharon Phillips, Eve turned away from God and put who? Adam in God's place. So what was meant to be a blessing is now an obsession and an Edward craving. And your desire will be for your husband. This word for desire literally means you're going to run after the guy. 
You're going to have such a deep need. I'm just going to run after him because I can't live without him. We had a girl who came to uh, our house one night and asked for prayer. And we said, what is it you'd like prayer for? Everybody else has a date, but I don't. Can you pray that God will give me a date? It's Saturday night and I need a date. We said, we can't pray that. We can pray that you will learn something through this. <laughs> we can't pray that God will give you a date, but it was such a desperate need inside of her. Instead of waiting on God, they continued to provide for their need of a companion. Women are tempted to manipulate a man into a dating relationship. You know, some people say, I chased my wife until she caught me. And once they are dating, to capture him for marriage. Instead of finding their satisfaction first in God, they seek happiness in a, in a man. So that becomes what drives them. Well, in the same way, you have the man. And notice the curse that he lives under. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So what happens with men? They now become cursed to work. And so what's the temptation of men? They become workaholics. They find their satisfaction in their work. And they find their satisfaction in conquest. I'm going to conquer the ground. I'm going to prove myself master over it. And they always live in view of their mortality. That's why you don't often have women going through midlife crises. But the guys, you know, suddenly out comes the sports car. In my case, it's a motorcycle. And then you, you, have, you, know, you have the sense of my mortality is fading. I need to prove my strength, my vigor, my youth. And this is what tends to drive men. They're driven by performance. They're driven by conquest. They're driven by work. And a woman tends to be more driven by relationships. And their relationships, they, they just have that relational need deep inside of them. And they think when they get married, the man can find his, his wife pick her up over his shoulder and drag her back to his cave and then continue with the rest of his work. And the woman can finally find a man who she can bring into her life to satisfy that relational need. But this is a result of a twisted desire that sin has brought in because these things can become selfish. See, each of us has a love cup. You know, um, it's something that we're all designed to have. Each one of us desires love. And inside of our love cups is a certain amount of love that our parents have poured in. But are your parents perfect? No, no your parents are not perfect. And so your love cups are never f full. But when your love cups are really running on empty, you are ripe for something we call codependency. And what happens in codependency is that you get a half-empty love cup and a half-empty love cup, and they suddenly discover each other in a room. And they are magnetically drawn towards each other. And then as they meet each other, with the euphoria and the tingles, they feel that their love cup is suddenly full. And they go, wow, this person completes me. I've never felt this way before. This is incredible. And so the two get sucked into each other's lives and become codependent. But after a while, guess what? The other person's not satisfying my needs. I can't believe it. You know, when I was first here, he was so attentive. He looked after me, and, and he's going, yeah, you know, at first she, was, she just came along with me, and she was beautiful. Now she's nagging me all the time. What's going on here? And so they're both trying to find their needs met in each other. When the other person can't meet their need, they start to fight. Have you watched this? 
suck together and then they begin to fight and they're fighting with each other and then they I can't live with you bang and they break up but then they can't live without the other person because that's the only place that they felt a little fuller in their love cup so they come dragging themselves back together I'm so sorry let's get back together we'll make it work this time I really do love you and and for a while they fill each other's needs and then as selfishness kicks back in they start to fight again bang bang any of you seen relationships like that yeah and so what's going on is that we've allowed sin to twist our desires into a selfish point of view we're no longer following god's model instead we are living under the curse of sin which actually alienates us see there's two approaches here manipulation which is you are the means to get what i want So you are the means to get what I want. I'll manipulate you by giving to you or withholding from you in order to meet my desires and goals. It's what I call an idol contract. You know what an idol is? Here's my daughter. My daughter was coming to worship me. Not a bad idea. So you come, no. (laughs) She comes to worship me and she's going to bring a gift because that's what you do to an idol. But when she brings her gift, let's just say her gift is she's going to clean her room. So she brings her gift But the contract with an idol states, if she brings me her gift, what am I supposed to do? Give her the ice cream that she wants, right? So she brings her gift, I will clean my room, O thou great one. Delivers her gift, and then in return, I bestow on her ice cream. So she is manipulating me to get what she wants, right, in this scenario. You didn't know that was happening, right? So so the problem with idol contracts is that when we, when we come to our spouse as an idol and we say, if I give them this, they're going to give me back this. Maybe I'll give them some physical affection and they will give me some emotional affection. Maybe I'll give them, maybe I'll put a guilt trip on them and I'll pay them off that way and then they'll do what I want. And so in that scenario, can I have you guys stand here? Okay, let's see. We've got a father and daughter here. And so... Um, the daughter wants to get to happiness and I'm happiness Woo! All right, and she wants to get out to happiness but who stands in her way? dad alright so what she's got to do is manipulate dad to get him to somehow bring happiness to her and she spends her life manipulating her dad of course this is not real in this situation <laughs> she spends her life manipulating her dad because if only I had more money Guess who has the money? Dad. So dad's got to give the money. If only I had a car, dad's got the car. If only he would let me stay out till 3 o'clock in the morning, then I'd be happy. And so dad has the tough job. He has to fight back the manipulation or decide if he's going to play that game. Thank you. Wonderful job. So in a relationship, when a relationship is based on my happiness then I tend to manipulate the other person to get what I want and I use them for my own pleasure. Instead, what I see in the Bible is ministry. How can I glorify God? That's what drives everything. And how can I serve and love others? In fact, this sounds like two commandments. Which ones are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. 
So this one says, I'm going to minister to you by loving you faithfully with the love that God has given me. Whereas this is a contract, this is a covenant. It says, I will be faithful even if you're not faithful. Now, I want you to think through most dating relationships. Are they contracts or covenants? Contracts. I'll give to you. I almost expect one day to get to a wedding and they're going to say, I promise to love you as long as it makes me feel good. See, that's a contract. And I hear them when they come in for counseling to me and they're planning on getting a divorce and they say, this person doesn't make me happy anymore. But when you have a covenant based on what God has done, you look at the faithfulness of God, you look at the love of God, and the only way that you can be faithful, you recognize, is if you draw from God's love because only He can fill up your love cup. Amen? So... Uh, this is a covenant, and we'll see how that works a little later on. So these are God covenants. And we see it in Ephesians 5, verse 25. Uh, this is discussing marriage, but I think it applies to dating relationships. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You've heard of that before, right? Probably at a wedding you attended recently. And notice uh, in, from the book Holding Hands, Holding Hearts, this is their interpretation here. The Christian man is to put the spiritual and emotional well-being of the woman he is dating ahead of his own needs or desires. Ladies, how many of you like that? All right. He's going to put you ahead of his own needs or desires. But here's the problem. Men love to protect women. I mean, it's so good. I'm going to take on the battles. I'm going to be the knight in shining armor. But the reality is, is that the, the enemy she needs to be protected from is most of all you. See, you're the one who is most likely to damage her emotionally, to damage her uh, with your comments, with your physical demands. You're the one who is the greatest enemy of this woman's emotional well-being. And if we want to follow a biblical dating model where we minister to the other person instead of manipulate them, then we need to be honest with what's going on in our own hearts. Husbands, and this is 1 Peter 3 verse 7, likewise dwell with them, your wives, with, what's that key word? Understanding. Men, how many of you understand woman? <laughs> I, got a, I got a gift once at a wedding and... Uh, it was, uh, it was a gift that they wanted me to give out. I was the MC again for a wedding. They wanted me to give it out. And in that gift, it had a book, and it had on the cover every, uh, this famous researcher and everything that he had discovered about a woman. And then I opened it up, and it was blank. <laughs> you know, men don't understand women. But let me tell you, this is a biblical command. You are commanded to understand this person, guys, who's going to become your wife or who is your wife. They are the weaker vessel. This is not saying they're inferior. It says later on they're not. We are heirs together. But this is a person who can be easily wounded. And you need to be careful about your responsibility. You have to understand them. Give them honor for who they are. And it says if you don't do this, your prayers will be hindered. <laughs> so if you don't look after your wife... Where is she today? She's not She's yet. At She's at homesick. Yeah, if, now I you see her. what understanding he left his wife at home and brought 
his wonderful daughters so that she could rest. This is a good man. All right? <laughs> so what happens is he has to show understanding. If he doesn't, his very prayers will be hindered because there will be problems going on in his home. And you know what they say, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? So he, he has to show understanding. It's a, it's a requirement. So here's what we're saying. A godly man will seek to become knowledgeable about the woman he is spending time with and not just how she looks and what kind of fun she likes to have. He wants to find out what makes her tick. He wants to find out why does she feel this way. He wants to draw out her womanhood, understanding that she could be sensitive to some of the things he might say and, and do. He is to act and speak in a way that conveys the dignity and the value that he places on her. Now, if you are in a dating relationship and you are not treating your girlfriend this way, it's time for you to rethink your priorities, right? If you're married and you don't understand your wife and you don't show the dignity and value that she has, it's time for you <laughs> to reconsider your prayer life. Now, what about a woman? I love this. Uh, Isaiah 54, verse 5, For your maker is your husband, and the Lord of hosts is his name. A woman has to find her satisfaction in God first. Would you agree? Just wave at me. I need to see you're still awake. All right. A wife of noble character, this is Proverbs 31, who can find she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. In other words, she's so valuable, he recognized that. She's a 15-cow wife. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. A woman, this is the biblical term of you, is man's helper. She's the one to help him and complete him. A man is not good on his own. He becomes prideful, egotistical, or depressed, depending on the day. And he needs a woman to help him out. She balances him out. And it's because she's his helper, she seeks to do him good. She doesn't criticize him. She doesn't bring him down. She doesn't tell him what an awful job she's, he's doing or try to manipulate him. Instead, she's his helper, and she brings him good. And that's why Ephesians uh, 5.33 says, Let the wife see that she does what? Respects her husband. The husband, according to this, is to cherish the wife, and the wife is to respect her husband. Why do you think the Bible has it that way around? Why is it that it doesn't say that a woman has to cherish her husband? Because she does it naturally. <laughs> but a man, he doesn't naturally know how to cherish. So there's a command saying you need to cherish your wife. Why do you think it says that a woman has to respect her husband? Because she naturally will try to control him in a sinful world. Uh, that's why Solomon says a nagging woman is like a dripping tap. <laughs> It's not a good thing. Drip, drip. Better to dwell on the corner of the roof than to live with a contentious woman, right? I'm just quoting the Bible. <laughs> and so a woman has to say, all right, I know I, I have a natural desire to change him, but I have, to, I have to recognize that I'm here to be his helper and to respect him. Uh, there was a couple planning their wedding, and they were going through the different steps you know what are you going to do first you got to walk down the aisle and then you stand at the altar and then you get to sing a hymn and the woman was trying to remember okay how am I going to remember this I've got it aisle altar hymn 
<laughs> and that's often people's perspective when they come to marriage. How can I alter this person? In the end, what we're calling you to is a different kind of love. It's not just a tingles love where you meet at the water cooler, uh, you know, as you're on campus or you meet each other at Asian night and the sparks go. Instead, it's a love that is based on Jesus' love. The world takes us to a silver screen. This is from Joshua Harris, in which flickering images of passion and romance play. And as we watch, the world says, this is love. But God takes us to the foot of a tree on which a naked and bloody man hangs and says, this is love. Every relationship for a Christian is an opportunity to love another person like God has loved us. And only from within that perspective of a covenant relationship can we experience the joy of intimacy. So what we're, we're doing in this first section is we're really laying the, the groundwork, uh, the, the foundation for how a dating relationship should be. And then in the next section, I'm going to take a look at not only how a relationship should be, but what should be our, um, what should be our response? What are the steps in a courting relationship or a dating relationship? And I'm going to take you through those steps in the next section. Uh, one of the things that shaped me, and I've had both enthusiasm for and disdain for, is this book by Joshua Harris, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. How many of you have read this book? How many of you are aware of this book? Okay, a lot of you. And in this book, he basically suggests that there are significant problems with dating. And I want to take a look at that uh, before we end this first section. Uh, he calls it the seven habits of highly defective dating. And uh, some of them you can see just come right out of what we've been talking about. He says, number one, dating leads to intimacy, but not necessarily to commitment. Hooking up, getting together, and there's intimacy, but it doesn't need, lead to saying, I'm yours forever. We'll just be friends with benefits. Secondly, he says, dating tends to skip the friendship stage of a relationship. So we just, why, why become friends for too long? You know how many dates it takes before people start going steady? Between three to six dates. That's all. And so that's not how things used to be. People are moving very rapidly towards commitment. Thirdly, he says, dating often mistakes a physical relationship for love. If it feels good, it must be love. And he says, nope, that's not true at all. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's true love. Uh, and so we have instant intimacy that tends to kick in. Uh, you know, so we meet three times, and then we get to, uh, and then we start going steady, but we're not really that committed. If you asked, are you interested in marrying this person? No, but I am interested in holding his hand and kissing him. That's a problem. Uh, it's a reversal of what I believe the order should be. The order should be intimacy, which leads to commitment, which leads to knowledge. Uh, I mean, that's the order that is there. It's not the order it should be. <laughs> Let me get it right. So what happens is, yeah. So you know what he said in that seminar? <laughs> so if intimacy comes first, people will hold hands before they know anything about each other. Case in point, walking down the beach, right? That leads to a form of commitment. Well, I guess we've held each other's hands. We're sort of committed now. And then only later on do they go, 
wait, hold on, I don't even know you. So this is the wrong way around. What should be the right way around? Well, uh, Josh Harris kind of identifies this in his book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He says, the problem here is I think that this is the story of our generation's pursuit of fulfillment in relationships. We wished for intimacy without what? Obligation or commitment. We wished for sex with no strings attached. We wished for the pleasure of love with none of work, none of the vows, none of the sacrifice. And we got it. But the results aren't what we hoped for. And we're left feeling emptier than before. The intimacy is superficial. The sex leaves us dissatisfied and hungry for something real, something true. Where is true joy? He says, look, it's found in God's brand of love, love that's founded on faithfulness and rooted in commitment. Can you say amen to that? So the way it should look is that we should spend time getting to know people as we get to know them so we end up with a developing commitment to them. And only after we have reached our ultimate commitment can we allow for intimacy. Now, I know that there may be some overlap here because as you grow closer to a person, you become more committed. I understand that, but we have so twisted it the other way around that intimacy comes before commitment and which comes before knowledge that most people are married for two years before they finally wake up and say, I don't even know who this is. How did I end up in this marriage relationship? And I've had sad situations. People who've been, I married one girl and I tried to warn her um, and she said, I, I know you don't approve, but please come and do this wedding. And so I went out to do the wedding. I tried to warn them again. And I should have just pulled out. I should have said, I'm not doing this wedding. But I gave in and I did the wedding. And within nine months, it was over. Nine months, it was over. And now, you know, it, it so created a crater in both of their lives. They were depressed. They got into addictions. I mean, it was all because... They didn't, they didn't think about do we know each other before they made a commitment and engaged in intimacy. And they had gone the wrong way around. So he says, in addition to these first three, there are four more mistakes of defective dating. Number one, dating often isolates a couple from other vital relationships. Have you noticed that? Then number five, dating distracts young adults from their primary responsibility of preparing for their future because you can't think. You're just, you're just involved in this dating. Some people even leave university. They leave the education because they just want to be with this person. Number six, dating can cause discontentment with God's gift of singleness. What if God wants you to be single and you're running after this person? And then number seven, dating creates an artificial environment for evaluating someone's character. Let's just be honest. Sitting and having a meal with a candle. Why, why do we do it have a candlelight anyway? So you can't really see what the other person looks like. <laughs> so there you are. And you're having this meal and you're on your best behavior and you're smiling at them and you're saying all the right words and everything else. This kind of dating is artificial. If you really want to effectively evaluate someone's character, do what one of my friends did and make sure you have a flat tire on your way to somewhere and then watch to see what the guy does. <laughs> because if he handles it well, that's a far better test of character than whether or not he pays for the meal. So I've painted a picture here and I'm gonna take, we're going to take a break uh, here in a minute. I've painted a picture that suggests that God has a better way of dating. What I haven't done yet is tell you how to go about it.
I am going to suggest that you think seriously about whether you're in this to minister to the other person or in order to get what you want and to fulfill your desires. And if you're really in it to become like Jesus, it's going to change how you go about dating. You won't do defective dating. You're going to do a dating that's far more powerful. You're going to, date, you're going to do a dating that takes courage, takes integrity, and it takes faithfulness and commitment. And that's the kind of dating that I encourage each of you to have. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that we've had just a brief overview of the powerful relationship that you created men and women to have. For a woman to help a man to become more of who he should be, to take on godly leadership, to, to become a virtuous man of integrity. And for a man to protect a woman, primarily from himself, to honor her and value her, to have self-respect for her. For a man to see that he needs to get to know her and understand not just her attractiveness, but what makes her tick. And that as you bring two people together like this, you are molding together something that no longer is two, but ultimately becomes one. Father, give us a vision for that kind of relationship. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.